All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this privilege, this tremendous honor of gathering together this way, this unique way on a Sunday morning to fellowship in your Son's good name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a fantastic opportunity to celebrate just being alive, being able to live in this gospel reality, Father, something that you gave each of us as individuals by grace. Thank you, Father, for saving us. Thank you for doing so daily. We pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us this morning, that you might heal them and bring them back to the fold so that we might enjoy their company and be encouraged each by one another's faith for as long as it's called today. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world, Father. What a tragic end they face. We just request in earnest, Father, that you endure with patience so that we might evangelize them and have additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make a morning like this even a reality. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, Undistracted Devotion to the Lord, Part 19. We opened up on Thursday by reading the whole of Chapter 3 of Paul's Epistle to the Church at Colossae. Uh, I want to grab the highlight reel. Go to Colossians 3.1. Colossians 3.1. Let's grab the highlight reel. We're not going to read the whole chapter. Colossians 3.1. Wonderful way to start a Sunday morning message. Um, we're getting close to the end of this series. And so I think what he's giving us is the big picture perspective to wrap it all up. <clears throat> Colossians 3 verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, in other words, if you're a believer, keep seeking the things above that you see an activity there right out of the gate. We're going to spend a little bit more time on doing this morning, but keep seeking the things above. That's an active lifestyle. It's an activity, you see, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. And don't just do that. Don't do a disservice to yourself by just doing that on a Sunday morning. Do that each and every day. Uh, start each morning by reading your Bible, even if it's just a chapter. Anything is better than nothing. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, what a wonderful statement that is, who is our life, I hear that as a vernacular in the world, oh, that, this so-and-so is my whole life, my kids are my whole life, my work is my whole life. No, it's not. As a believer, Christ is your life. That's the perspective we want to adopt. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Jump to verse 14. Verse 14, these are all wonderful reminders of the uh, messages from the pulpit over the last few years even. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 
let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing and uh, one another, and with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, that's all part of the filling of the Spirit. That's that parallel to Ephesians 5. Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, in word or deed, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So much of what the Spirit's been revealing to us in this series has been or has to do with giving thanks, as we just read, something we noted in Ephesians 6.17 as well, up here on the board. 6.17 in Ephesians reads, The sword of the Spirit, the Word, that's the reference point. And I was thinking about this, and this came out on Thursday as well, that we have so much to be grateful for. It's amazing that we forget. Really. That's why I make a point this morning when I see a sparse crowd like this on a Sunday morning. It makes me wonder, like, are the people that aren't here, are they grateful for what they have? I mean, it took a multitude of spiritual gifts to open the place up. There are people here that are here hours before you are. Just to open this place up, to make it comfortable for you, to make it available. Um, I think we forget. I think we've become familiar. There are people where, like Scott and Michael, are going to be going pretty soon that would, I'm using a, you know, the wrong language, but that would die. They would do anything to have a church like this. Anything to have a church like this. And if they did have a church like this, trust me, they'd be here. Probably until they got familiar. Anyways, we have so much to be grateful for. It's amazing that we ever forget. We do need constant reminders, perspective changes, attitude adjustments especially on the topic of salvation and sanctification. To give substance to the point on the board, the Spirit's been really asking us to consider the following biblical perspective as well, that faith is an activity, not just a forensic fact. Faith is an activity, not just a forensic fact. Faith is actively upheld, not just established once, being given, saving, delivering faith is more like a starting point than an end point. And I think that's where we can garner a lot of gratitude from that perspective, realizing that it's not just something that happened to us, supposedly, decades ago. It happens every day. The fact that you're not lost again is a function of God's faithfulness to you. And that should bring us great joy and much gratitude. Here's what we have to remember on this, more specifically. Even our perseverance, the fact that you are here, the fact that you're supposedly paying attention, the fact that your heart is with this message right now, that God the Holy Spirit is convicting you, is pulling you in from out of that filth out there, because some of you, I can see it in your eyes. Some of you are still out there. And by the end of class, you'll be in here. 
but it's sort of this transition that occurs. And he's pulling you in. Even all of that, that's what it means to persevere. Remember, you're never lost. You may wander in the thicket, but you're never lost. Even all of that, our perseverance as believers doesn't depend on us, but on Him. I mean, that's the same thing that happened at salvation proper, right? No one comes to Him unless He draws them. Which means even in salvation, the thing that you think you enacted, oh, I believed, I invited Christ into my heart. I did save myself by making this decision. God drew you. God drew you when you didn't even know you were being drawn. And he drew you here this morning by the Spirit. And that's why you're here. And you have to remember that. And be grateful because there's a whole lot of other things you could be doing right now that wouldn't be good for you. Amen? Right. Probably some of you did it last night. Why is that making all you laugh? You guys are sick. I don't want to know. Don't send me emails or pictures, please. <laughs> Our perseverance as believers doesn't depend upon us, but on Him. Remember, even faith is a gift of God. I think we get selfish about it, don't we? Oh, it's my faith. I'm good. I, I, I got faith. Yeah, where'd you get it from? We always have to attribute everything good, because remember, every perfect gift is from above. We have to attribute anything good. I am what I am by the grace of God? Yeah, that's because of God. Because of His grace. So I want to read a, the greater passage around Ephesians 2.8, which is quoted up there. Go to Ephesians 2.1. Ephesians 2.1, for a little more context, as we build up to Ephesians 2.8. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We're going to get to obedience again this morning. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is, and that it is, is everything that comes before. That entire verse, even, even more, everything that comes before is a gift of God. So we cannot forget this one fundamental principle. Again, up here on the board, our perseverance as believers doesn't depend on us, but on Him. Remember, even faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8. Look at verse 9. Again, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for 
good works. In other words, we have a purpose. He didn't just give us a new birth, make us new, and then say, well, enjoy your time on earth. I'll see you in heaven. No. He created us in Christ Jesus for good works. That means we have a real purpose, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That's, again, real purpose. We'd all do very well to remind ourselves of this as often as possible, that we have a real purpose in this life. A real purpose, as encouragement over the past couple of weeks, God has been telling us then to excel still more. A phrase we picked up in 1 Thessalonians 4, I'll give you the amplified again up here on the board, 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Finally, believers, we ask and admonish you in the Lord Jesus that you follow the instruction that you received from us about how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are actually doing. So it wasn't like he was saying they weren't. He's saying, I want you to excel still more. And that you excel even more and more. So it's not enough, in other words, just in a microcosm of this application to your life. It's not enough just to come to church. I mean, that's great. Wonderful way to start your week. But that's not it. That's not the end of it. You don't take off your Sunday best and go home, become your Sunday worst. That's not how this should work. You should excel still more. This isn't your only duty for today. Some of you are like, I'm going to go do my duty at church, and then I'm going to go watch 17 football games, have too many beers, lay out too many rancid jokes, and, and, and fellowship with too many worldly unbelievers. But I did my duty in the morning, you see. That's not how it works. That's not what is being said. It's excel all the more. That's your starting point. So as we've been learning, God is calling you out to live out your salvation as a reality in your daily living. In other words, under the premise, if you would, of gratitude itself, you keep on living. You keep on excelling more. You keep on listening to God the Holy Spirit. Let's revisit a familiar passage from Thursday's message. Go to Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Up here on the board, katagazomai, work out. To effect by labor, achieve, work out, bring about, literally, Work down to the end point. For example, to an exact, definite conclusion. Where's that conclusion? We don't hit that in conclusion until we make it to heaven. 
That's why we call it ultimate sanctification. It's the end goal, if you would, of being sanctified. But we're not there yet. We're in what we would call progressive sanctification. Progressive meaning going from point A to point B, that there's an activity, a movement. So we're to work that out to that end goal, to the far right of the timeline, to the third phase, if you would, of sanctification. Too many people, I think, rest in phase one, and that's the end of it. They just want to go from phase one, whatever's in the middle, I don't care, I'm just going to go watch all the football games and do all that stuff, and then phase three. Because maybe, just maybe, some of you have been lied to along the way. I was. Some of you have been lied to along the way. There are, I think there are Christians that are still unsaved that are lied to, that think they're saved, and they're playing a little game because they hedged a bet 10, 20 years ago when they were a kid. I was saved when I was like, you know, 14. Mom and Dad sat me down and said, Believe this thing and say this prayer with us now so we can rest at night. That's not how it works. Sorry. There's a thing called the perseverance of the saints. That's in the Bible, not your theology, not your garbage thinking about how you want your children to be saved, how you think they're saved when they're really not. There's a thing called experiential sanctification, and a true believer is in the middle of it. That's what it means to work out. The Bible speaks so commonly of salvation as an ongoing event, not a one-time event, an ongoing event. Remember God's perspective? God's not bound by time. So when he says, I'm saving you, I'm saving you. Let me give you an analogy on this. It's my last attempt trying to drive this point home because I think I really think a lot of Christians nowadays are messed up on this one topic and they lie to one another about it have you ever been to a music concert I mean I only go to like ones that are on K-Love that's a lie in case you were wondering I'm assuming everybody in here has been to a music concert When you walked through the gates and then the curtain went up, did you get up and leave? I mean, you made it to the concert, right? You made it to the show. So music started, all right, let's go. Or did you stay for the show? Presumably the latter, I guess. When you're saved, you receive a ticket for the show, my friends. When the curtain goes up on eternal life, you don't up and leave. That's just the starting point. You just showed up. Why would you up and leave? And why would you tell somebody that that's the best that God has for them? Just make it to the concert and you can leave. That's just the starting point. I want to read something that uh, Evangelist Grande sent me from a book he's reading titled The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. It reads this way up here on the board. And it's on this topic, and I loved it. He's an interesting read, very direct, reminds you of the Apostle John in many ways. How tragic that we in this dark day have had our seeking done for us by our teachers. You know, I wrote a blog on this this weekend. Identity politics and sports fandom. 
Why? Because people are generally lazy. And they do it in the spiritual life as well. Anyways, how tragic that we live in this dark day, that we in this dark day have had our seeking done for us by our teachers. Everything is made to center upon the initial act of, quote, accepting Christ, a term, incidentally, which is not found in the Bible. And we are not expected thereafter to crave any further revelation of God to our spirit. This is the lie. He continues, We have been snared in the coils of a false logic which insists that if we have found him, we need no more seek him. And then finally, This is set before us as the last word in orthodoxy, and it is taken for granted that no Bible-taught Christian ever believed otherwise. Thus, the whole testimony of the worshiping, seeking, singing church on that subject is crisply set aside. Don't believe what you think is, is today's Christendom. It's disgusting. I'll be the first to say it. Christianity today stinks to the high heavens. It's filled with absolute lies about a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's filled with lies about salvation. Just accept Jesus and you're done. Lie! Absolute lie from the pit of hell. As Mr. Tozer just said, that's not even actually in the Bible. That's actually not even in the Bible. How about the fact that God has to accept you into his house? How about that he invites you in? How about he draws you in? How about you can't shoehorn your relatives in? How about you don't let them lie to you about their salvation? How about you don't let them appease you? How about you don't rest that way? I mean, we say we love everyone, right? We say we set ourselves apart for the sake of love. But do we? Do we do love? Do we, honestly? Or do we, is it easier to accept this kind of a lie that Tozer is describing? Because that is mainstream Christianity today. It's an artifact. Salvation is some artifact. Most Christians, I know if I said, hey, talk to me about the doctrine of the persevering saint, they'd say, what are you talking about? What does that mean? That they get up and go to work every day? Like, what does that mean? These these people are completely uneducated. And most of them, like my blog alluded to, just cling to religious beliefs. If you ask the average, you pick the religion. Why do you believe that? Because that's what my church does. But, but what, are you sure they're right on that thing? That's what they do. And they will fight you tooth and nail. And then they'll gather all their church friends and they'll say, <laughs> look at your little church over there. And look at mine. Mine's huge. And I got the tallest steeple and it's up on a hill. And look at your little church. Oh, it's okay, you little baby. That happens all the time. Talk to a uh, Patriots fan. 
Oh, you little baby. Oh, did I just, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a group of Patriots fans. <gasps> oh, my God, why did it get so quiet? Because you all identify with that kind of garbage. And it makes you no different than the religious moron up the street with the, chi- with the steeple that's 300 feet high. Am I making people choke? Should I ch- choose a different sport? I'm going to choose lacrosse. Nobody cares about golf. I hope you get my point. And he's right. How many years ago was this guy? Like 50, 60? 40. 40 oh, what the? <laughs> I don't even know how to take that. It's like so n- uncharacteristic Scott. I would expect that out of Sean or something. You know, like a nerd. It's exactly 48 in three months and seven days. What? <laughs> that means like almost 70 years is what you're saying. Anyways. 70 years ago. So this is not a new thing, you understand. The lie is that it's always been the lie. What? Yeah, all right. The lie is that it's always been the lie that he just described. But it hasn't. And that's the beauty of this. That's the beauty of going back to, say, the book of Acts. I like that it's named Acts. You know, like Acts. Acts of... That's the beauty of having Holy Scripture. You can go back before the lie became absolute. Anyways. Just think about the aforementioned music concert analogy showing up and then leaving when the curtain goes up and then think about the fact that the bible says that we are born again like newborn babes in christ we've been given new life in him do we really want to suggest that our rebirth is the end goal or is it more accurate and infinitely better to think of being born again and saved as our introduction to all that god desires for us Which one's even the truth? The Bible teaches us that when we are saved, we are given eternal life to enjoy right now. Hold your thumb. Go to John 3.15. John 3.15. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says if you're born again and saved, you have eternal life right now. John 3.15. So that whoever believes believes will in him have eternal life. That's present tense there. If you believe, you have. What? Eternal life. Present tense. Go to John 4.14. John 4.14. So if you're a believer, you have eternal life right now. Sounds like you've made it to the concert. Why would you put earplugs in or walk out? John 4.14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Again, the Bible teaches us that when we are saved, proper, you know, 
positional sanctification, we are given eternal life to enjoy right now. Okay, go back to Philippians 2.12. That was just a friendly reminder. Philippians 2.12. I did say hold your thumbs, right? Do you guys know what I mean by that? I'm going to show you. Demonstration time. Okay, Philippians what? 2.12. You stick your thumb like here, right? And you flip pages on top of it. And then when I say go back, you just go like this. It's so cool how it works. Just saying. And it saves time for all of us. Some of you, but I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> no kidding. Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Again, up here on the board, catagasmai, work out to effect by labor, achieve work out, bring about literally. Work down to the end point. For example, to an exact definite conclusion, the point is that the end point is not positional sanctification. The end point is ultimate sanctification. It's still in front of us. It's not behind us. If the end point's behind you, you're done. That's the lie. Just accept Jesus and you're done. You can go, Mama, and I'll meet you in heaven. That's a lie that precipitates things like saints, quote unquote, that don't persevere. Saints that can be a complete lie carnal believers that's a complete lie throw that out, that out of your language that is, is a lie from the pit of hell those people don't exist those are people that have been lied to all that stuff if, if if in other words if being saved positionally is the end goal what else is there what is god doing what's philippians 1 6 about what is christ saying follow me follow you why i'm done What am I working out if it's done? If the end goal is to make it to the concert, what am I working out in time? I mean, what's all this active voice about? What am I doing? Hmm. So for those of you who have a weakness for religion, also uh, look at verse 13. It says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's the Greek word energeo. You can see energy in the word itself. It means to energize, up here on the board, to energize working in a situation which brings it from one stage or point to the next, like an electrical current energizing a wire, bringing it to a shining light bulb, up here on the board. Romans 9.23, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. When we shine like a light bulb, God is glorifying his work in us. That's what that means. God is glorifying His work in us. That's why in verse 13 it says, for it is God who is at work in you. Because He's glorifying Himself. You're just a vessel of mercy. You're just a vessel. We get some final, final advice from Paul on this. For there are real practical things to consider, especially when someone hears a message like this one, and then says to themselves, I want to shine to God's glory, but I'm not sure I understand how that works. Well, here's a great place to start. You don't even have to go anywhere. You don't even have to hold your thumb. Look at verse 14. What does it say? Great place to start. Shut up! That's the Ed Collins translation. I'm sorry. Shut up! 
Okay, go home. Just kidding. You don't like that translation? Was it the Patriots thing? You still huffing over that? You're still mad about the pay? Oh, let's talk about the Red Sox. Oh, they're so awesome. <laughs> they're awesome, therefore I am awesome. Get it? Yes. Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Perfect place to start. Raise your hand if you have the audacity to say you didn't grumble about something in your soul this morning. Whether it was, you know, when you were pouring your coffee and, oh, splash, oh, son of a, this is bull. How about me? I get up every morning the last week. I'm like, damn this rain. Right? I'm sick of it. Tired of it. What a jerk. I guess I could read the Bible myself. Hey, at least I'm reading it. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Wonderful place to start. Stop arguing with your spouse or your friends or your whoever it is, your parents. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Well, what's the word of life? Up here on the board. It's been the topic of our discussion for the last three years. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The substance of our salvation. Our reason for our living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 Our reason for living. That's the word of life. What do you cling to in the morning? A coffee cup? A hangover? What are you clinging to? What did you cling to this morning? Each other? Ooh, that's not going to last. Seriously, that's not going to last. You cling to Jesus Christ. You cling to his gospel. You cling to the fact that you're saved. And you give gratitude. Up here on the board, in the Amplified, 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed, gratefully praised and adored be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant and boundless mercy has caused us to be born again, that is, to be reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for His purpose. We started off this morning that way, that you have a real purpose. To an uh, ever-living hope. There's our living hope. To an ever-living hope and confident assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What we see in this passage is something we see throughout the entire Bible. I want to show you something by cutting away. You're still in Philippians 2, right? 14 and 15? Okay. I want to to cut away all the other words in a passage, and I want to show you something. Okay? Read The first three words in Philippians 2, 14 read, Do all things. Correct? Okay. And then verse 15, the first two words, So that. So if we put those two things together, Do all things, so that. Do all things so that. Do here in the Greek is in the present tense, active voice, imperative mood. If you know anything about Greek, you know what that means. Present tense means right now, all the time. Active voice means it's you. Imperative mood means it's an absolute command. Do, like right now, always. Do this thing. 
that's being commanded, whatever this verb is, do this thing. Do all of this right now always. That's what that means. Present tense, active voice, imperative mood. In other words, this statement is a dogmatic command. Present tense means that it is ongoing, as in right now, always, habitually, in other words. Active voice means that it is you that is being singled out personally. Not a group. Not, you know, like, you all. No, it's you personally. That's what the active voice means. Imperative mood means that it is an order from God. Remember the Greek word peristemi? Present yourself, pick up your marching orders. Well, here's one. Here's one, literally. You got your orders. That's the big thing when you're in, like, boot camp and stuff. Oh, man, I wonder what I'm going to do and where I'm going to go. Oh, I got my orders. Oh, it's a, like an envelope. You pull out, you're like, oh. Or some people are like, oh, my God. Right? <laughs> you got your orders. You open them up, and it says, do all things. There you go. From this point on, you've been recruited. You're part of Christ's army. You're a soldier now. Here's your marching orders. Do all things so that. Because I have a purpose for you. I don't just train soldiers for the sake of training them. Imagine that. Hey, we're going to train you up. You can go sit over there in the, in the pool hall now. Don't worry about fighting battles or doing anything, you know. <laughs> that you've been trained for. So the imperative moods, mood means that it is an order from God, a command that you do something right now and for always. So that's what we have in verse 14. Do all things. I think the really interesting thing is that Paul adds all things as a qualifier. But I'll let you ponder that on your own. The other aspect here is found in verse 15. So that. Do all things so that. So that implies an intended result of the present active imperative do. So that. In other words, up here on the board, this is plain and simple. God has plans for you. Yeah. Imagine that. God has plans for you. And there are huge blessings tied to our abiding in said plans as he reveals them to us. And you ready? Here it is. Everybody's favorite word, the word of the month, obedience. So you read your Bible, and it literally you see a command. Mm. You have literally two choices. I can obey, or I can disobey. That's it. Nice and easy. I can obey. You open up your marching orders. Mm-hmm. It says right here, I can either obey it, or I can throw it out in the trash and go to the pool hall. Obedience. Exodus 23:22, Psalm 112:1, 119:30:60, Isaiah 119, Jeremiah 7:23, Luke 6:46, 11:28, John 14:15:31, Acts 5:29, James 1:22 to 25, 1 John 3:24:53. For example. For example. So I want to take a moment now to do something very simple with you. I want to walk Holy Scripture and say nothing. <laughs> Only read with you. You're laughing because you already know this is going to be a, quite a bit of self-control on my part, but I'm going to do my best to keep my mouth shut. And I'm not going to grumble or dispute with God. Huh? See how I did that? 
Go to Exodus 20. People are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Go to Exodus 23, 22. Yeah, we just read that. Pay attention, people. Don't make me grumble and dispute. I gotta go silent here in two seconds. I gotta have a clear mind. Exodus 23:22. And just keep your eye on obedience. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Psalm 112, verse 1. Psalm 112, verse 1. Come on, go faster. The longer you guys take, the harder it is for me up here. Please. <laughs> Psalm 112, 1. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. How about 119.30, Psalm 119.30. 119.30, I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. How about verse 60, same chapter. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. Go to Isaiah 119. Isaiah 119. Isaiah 1, verse 19. Isaiah 119. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. How about Jeremiah 7.23? Jeremiah 7.23. Jeremiah 7.23. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will walk in all the way which I command you, that it may be well with you. Obey, that it may be well with you. Go to Luke 6.46. Luke 6.46. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? How about Luke eleven twenty eight? Luke eleven twenty eight. <clears throat> Luke eleven twenty eight reads, But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Go to John fourteen fifteen. 
John 14, 15. John 14, 15 reads, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How about John 14, 31? 14, 31. But so that, John 14, 31, But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Go to Acts 5.29. Acts 5.29. Remember the word on the board. Acts 5.29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Go to James 1.22. James 1.22. James 1.22. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. But once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Go to 1 John 3.24. 1 John 3.24. First John three twenty four. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And then finally go to five three in first John. First John five verse three. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Whew! That was tough. That was like hearing your favorite song and not whistling to it. You know, you know getting it? Anyways. There it is. Obedience. We could have just kept going. We could have gone all day on that one word. Obedience. It's a, we'll call it a primitive of the spiritual life. It's an absolute. Think of it the way you best can think about it in your own soul. That's why I shut my mouth. Because God the Holy Spirit had something to say to you as individuals. He said, I don't want you coloring any of this. I just want them to read what the Word of God, that I inspired, says the Holy Spirit, that I can use, will say to them as individuals. Because each of you are disobeying the Word of God somewhere in your life, somehow. I don't know what it is. I really don't want to know, honestly. Um, but obedience, I mean, is, has been at the forefront of our lessons now for a long time. And God doesn't like to waste His time. So, 
We could go all day on obedience, but how much proof in the Word of God do we really need to be convinced that obedience is an inescapable part of God's will for us? To echo the work we just did in Philippians 2, remember Philippians 2.14 said, Do all things so that, in verse 15. Do all things so that. Do all things so that. Do all things, a command that we must obey, so that God may bless us the way any good father wants to bless his children. That's all this is, my friends. He just wants to bless us out. He says, the only way I can bless you out is if you obey. So concentrate. I believe in my heart that there are people hearing my voice right now that have put up a barrier in their souls on this. That I believe. How do I know that? Because people don't change. So I'm always looking at trends, or I've been doing this for a decade. I can teach a lesson like this, and some of you will be affected. Most of you are convicted, but most of you will be back to your old tricks tomorrow, this afternoon, maybe it'll last a week. I don't know. But in my heart, I know that people are already finding ways to put up barriers. I don't like this word so much. I don't like obedience that much. I like all the other stuff, but when it comes to obedience, I don't really like it. I believe these people are stuck and will continue to be so because to date, some of them haven't suffered all that much. Uh, some of them haven't suffered all that much. So this is, you know, the impetus isn't really there yet. See, a wise person says, oh, I hear, therefore I do. An adolescent says, I hear. Mommy and Daddy. You know, they always go back to Mommy and Daddy when they need them. Mommy and Daddy, what happened? I crashed my car. Can you fix it for me? A wise person doesn't crash their car. They say, oh, slippery road. I'm going to slow down, not speed up. Oh, someone's trying to text me. I'm going to leave it on my seat. I'm not going to try to read it and run an old lady over. Oh, I don't know why I went to jail. I was texting and driving. Yeah, dummy. You're not supposed to text and drive. How selfish could you possibly be? Same thing with drinking and driving, drugging and driving. You go on the list. You shouldn't be doing anything behind the wheels without paying attention. Got really quiet in here on that one. It's not funny, though. I mean, it's funny, but it's not funny. It's sad. Because my fear is someday I'm going to read a report that one of you hit somebody because you were texting and driving. God forbid you hurt somebody. So I think there are people that put up barriers and they say things like, you know, this doesn't apply to me because I am already living a blessed life. I have this or that and 
That's all I need to be happy. I already have what I need to be happy. So what's, what's the reason? What's, you know, why would I obey more than I already am? Because I already have everything I supposedly want. And the fact is that these so-called blessings are lies from the pit of hell that are keeping them from the true blessings of God. That's the kind of conversation that goes on. And it's happening right now. Some, all you like, everybody's got their little doe-eye, innocent look. Not me. I would never. Not me. Wow! Whoa! Not to me on my motorcycle, which I got rid of, by the way. All these little blessings, they're lies from the pit of hell. Your phone is not a blessing, trust me. The fact that you're a slave to it is not a blessing, trust me. I don't care if you say, oh, I've got to use it for work. That's crap. Get more efficient at work then. If you need to break the law while you're driving a car, then you suck at your job. There's never a reason to break the law. Do you understand? Ever. God said so, not Pastor Ed. This isn't a tirade from Pastor Ed. This is about obedience. It's just a perfect example. It's one of the primary examples right now in our society. Is that fair? Take a trip on a motorcycle someday, and what you're forced to do is look at everybody's eyes coming through the windshield. 50% of the time at certain parts of the day, you know, like work hours, it's this way. 50%. And God's telling all of you, stop breaking the law. Because I don't want you to go to jail. I don't want you to live with the agony of killing somebody. I don't want you to do that thing. It's just one example. The reason he's bringing it up, because it's a primary example. Everybody's got a phone that they're a slave to now. Just saying. But I'm so good at driving, I'm awesome. I'm like this. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're just risking so much and so many blessings. Do you understand? You're risking all those blessings by breaking the law. So guess what? Those so-called blessings are lies from the pit of hell that are keeping you from the true blessings of God. And you might even be risking some that you've got. Because God knows if you really do hurt somebody, you're probably going to go to jail. And all those little blessings like your, your relationships and your home and your car, they're gone. And God said, I told you, I'm not mocked. I know the temptation to ignore messages like this one on obedience are ever-present in this world. And they are supremely difficult to avoid completely especially when you consider that it's easy to assume something's a blessing because of temporal enjoyment, as opposed to, say, the joy set before you. Anybody want to say that Jesus Christ enjoyed the cross in that moment? If he's our perfect prototype, what makes you think that you're supposed to enjoy your cross while you're carrying it, which is a command, by the way. Pick up your cross and carry it. 
What makes you think that that's the kind of joy that the Word of God talks about? Why is it never recorded? I'm, I challenge one of you. I'd love to see it. I haven't seen it. I don't ever see Jesus smiling. There's no account that I can find of Jesus Christ going, la, 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 la. No, he had a, a deep burden on his heart, a love that drove him to a cross for a joy set before him, knowing the end goal. How about you? Is all your joy temporal? Oh, this person, I got, I got to get this one because this one, oh, look at that, they said they love me. God loves me. See, he lets me read my text while I'm driving because he knows that when I hear that I love, that, you know, it's good. That's not a blessing. That's from the pit of hell. Why is it so quiet in here? Do you all text and drive? Why is the top of my head hot? <laughs> it's easier to assume something's a blessing because of temporal enjoyment instead of, you know, the joy set before you, that you enjoy your own cross. The struggle is ancient, my friends, as ancient as the human race is. So I want to read um, an ancient account now of this attitude, this one where, you know, you think you can get away with something, where, you know, disobedient reigns. And in, in disobedience, people are like prospering. Don't you look around? Don't you look at your neighbor sometimes, the atheist, and he's driving like a, a 1982 Corvette, your favorite car, in case anybody wants to buy me one? I just threw that out there. Because that would be a real blessing. That would not be from the pit of hell. Because I can handle it. Just saying. <laughs> Anyways. Don't buy me a matchbox. Because if I didn't say it, someone would do it. I was like, I'm going to buy a little matchbox. He's so smart. This is ancient. This idea of I can disobey and prosper. And then I'll turn around and say, that prosperity is my blessing. That's ancient. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible game that, that human beings... And then we, the ones that were trying to be obedient, you know how it is. You're trying to be obedient. You're doing all the right stuff. Paying your taxes. You know, putting your phone away when you're driving. Doing all the right stuff. And somebody else is prospering. It's really hard to look over the fence. Then you start doing one of these numbers. So I want to read an ancient account of a person who was struggling with the fact that evil people in the world seem to prosper. And that might be you, by the way. That's why he's having us read it. So stop saying, oh, yeah, there's evil people. I'm, I'm always up here. And no, you could be the evil person that's prospering, that's holding that disobedient mentality and thinking you're blessed, that God's somehow looking the other way in your case. So this was a person struggling with the fact that evil people in the world seem to prosper while those obedient children of God seem to suffer. Go to Psalm 73, verse 1. Psalm 73, verse 1. The struggle's ancient. Psalm 73, verse 1. <clears throat> hey, here's a good question, though, while you're turning. I know you're done turning, but I'm going to use it as an excuse anyways. 
What did people do before cell phones? You, you ready? You ready? This is, oh my God, this is unbelievable. They drove somewhere and met somebody. And they actually hugged the person and said, I love you. There were no emojis. No giffies. Right? They actually had real relationships with people. Just saying. Okay, now that you've gone there, because I was waiting for you. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. I mean, surely God's good to you, right? But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, as people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them, they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, I was, it was troublesome in my sight. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within. Then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Think of how we started with Colossians 3.1. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Again, the reason we read that chapter in Holy Scripture on the coattails of our work on obedience is so that you don't make the ongoing mistake that so many people do. That is to assume that because you are prospering by world standards, that you are being blessed by God. Here's the, the litmus test, if you would. You might say, well, I don't know. 
You know, I don't know. I, th I think this is good. I think this is going good. I, th I think I'm all right. I think I'm doing this. I think I'm... Oh, I'm just going to give you a very simple litmus test. It's not a new one. The blessings litmus test. You ready? If what you are, quote, doing, remember the command, do all things so that. If what you are doing is taking you away from your first love, it isn't from God. There is no way, no way, that God will ever do anything to take you away from Christ. He won't motivate it. He won't ordain He won't do anything. He might ordain it happening so you can learn your lesson. But that is definitely not His will. If whatever you're doing, most of you have jobs, could be a job, but I'm so blessed at work. I keep getting promotions. I keep doing it. Yeah, is it taking you closer to Him or farther away from Him? Look at your life and be honest. Because if it's taking you farther away, guess what? It's not a blessing. It's a curse. Could be family even. I think I'm going to have nine kids. You sure about that? You sure you want nine kids? You can't even take care of the kid that's yourself yet. You want nine kids for what purpose? So you can idolize these little rugrats with their fleshes? What is it that you want? Could be an animal. I don't know. I'm going to get a new puppy. You, you know how that goes, right? They're crapping everywhere. Next thing you know, you're PO'd and you don't come to church because the puppy's making a mess everywhere. And now you want to drink and it's 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Right? How's that a blessing? I'm just saying. Just going on a limb. Don't even get me going. I'm a, you can talk to DJ about relationships. That's the whopper. That one drives me bananas. Don't even get me going about relationships. I have to look up because I'm going to get angry. If what you are doing is taking you away from your first love, it isn't from God. No matter how well it matches with your plans of, quote, success, or how good it, quote, feels, or how admired you are for it, God's foremost command is to love Him first, then others. Him first, then others. Again, this is the litmus test. It's pretty simple, right? How do I know if it's a blessing from God? If what you're doing is taking away from your first love, it isn't from God. So don't call it a blessing. No matter how well it matches with your plans of success or how good it feels or how admired you are for it, God's foremost command is to love Him first, then others. Mark 12, 28 to 31. Go there quickly. I've got to pick a spot now. Some of you are like, thank God. 12, 28 to 31. That's a very easy litmus test, is it not? See, some of you are like, man, I hate when he does that because that covers my entire life. I'd rather he say, okay, here's where you stop. Don't text and drive. Oh, I can talk about, you know. Or don't do this one thing. Or let's talk about this one little sliver of thing over here. Nope. Anything that takes you away from your first love. And don't lie either. Anything that takes you away from the grace of God. Anything that thwarts your sanctification is not a blessing. It's not a blessing. No, right? It's like, no, there's no wiggle room in that one. There's no way to lawyer your way out of it, is there? So you just have to look in the mirror and say, I'm a disobedient jackass. And I'm going to keep doing this because that's what my flesh wants. At least that's a good starting point. At least you're being um, honest, right? At least you're being honest. That's the best place to start. 
You may, not, you may say to yourself, I'm not ready to change yet. And God goes, I know. You know how I know? Because I can see tomorrow and next week and you still haven't changed. I already know that. But at least we're having a dialogue here. At least we're talking honestly instead of you playing pretend, right? Mark 12, 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, he asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than, commandment greater than these. What's the commandment? To love him first, then others. So if you're loving yourself first, your life, your ridiculous lifestyle, your decisions, the ones that satisfy your flesh, and you're calling all those things blessings, you're lying to yourself. And the only place you're going to probably hear that kind of strong language is probably from this guy. Because that's a shepherd's job. Right? You can go home and read your own Bible. Some of you do, some of you don't. But you know how it goes. There's a reason why a shepherd has a staff and a rod. There's a reason why he wields this. Because I've done both today. Guided you and then hit you a little bit. And when you get hit by the shepherd, it hurts a little. It stings. He's not trying to clobber you to death. He's just trying to wake you up. And then sometimes he's like, all right, well, let's, how does this work then? But this is, the, this is the litmus test for blessings. If what you're doing is taking you away from your first love, it isn't from God, no matter how well it matches with your plans of success or how good it feels or how admired you are for it, God's foremost command is to love. Him first, then others. Do you see you in there? Nope. Him first, then others. Isn't that what our prototype did? And who was more obedient than him? Here's what the Spirit's been weaving together in our message series titled, Undistracted Devotion to the Lord. Up here on the board. Humility is the key to the spiritual life. Obedience is the evidence of it, ensuring righteousness. Devotion is the focus activity Peace and joy are the results. Humility, obedience, devotion, and some fruit. Peace and joy. I mean, what do you think this whole... you really think this is about picking on you, about texting and driving? You, honest to God, at a personal level, please don't do it. Please don't. It's so ridiculous. It's so bad. Please don't do it. At a personal, I'm asking you as a personal favor, if that has any weight in your life. Please don't. I don't want to go through the pain of seeing you suffer because something happened. Not to mention you're breaking the law and you're breaking God's law because you are not loving that person that's driving by you, the one in the caravan with the two kids in the back. You are not loving them. And you are not loving God who created them. You are loving yourself. Please don't. 
I shouldn't have to say anything about drugs or alcohol. Humility, obedience, devotion, peace, and joy. Please get this straight in your hearts why we're doing this, why we're talking about undistracted devotion to the Lord, and what is the tact that he's been taking with us. Please. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous privilege to study your word together as family. Thank you for always being upfront and direct with us, Father, wielding the rod as you do the staff as well through your under-shepherd. Father, thank you so much for today. We just ask your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.